Good evening. Tonight we're going to start with uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Um, last week we looked at this verse in its immediate context, and tonight I want us to look at uh, the three times that that verse is quoted in the New Testament, uh, and we see the, the fuller meaning of it, and so uh, um, that's where we'll, we'll begin. So actually we'll look at four different verses tonight. Um, beginning in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and then look how that verse is applied in the New Testament. But before we do, I know there are prayer needs, prayer concerns. I'll pray for Mike and his recovery and Danny and his treatments. And uh... All right, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, we read, uh, we read these words. The prophet says, Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And last week we looked at these verses in their immediate context in the book of uh, in the book of Habakkuk. That's really a dialogue between the prophet and the Lord. And uh, the prophet cried out to God about uh, the evil, the violence, the injustice that's all around him, and wondering why God doesn't do something about it. Uh, surely you see, you know what's going on. How can you tolerate all these evil and this injustice and this oppression? Uh, in our society, and the Lord tells the prophet, well, I'm doing a work, and I didn't tell you about it because you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but I am raising up the Chaldeans to come and be the instrument of my judgment. Uh, a, a nation that is more wicked than Judah will actually come and be the instrument of my wrath against, against Judah. And then later in chapter four, 2, he's going to talk about, well, you know, I'm going to use the Chaldeans for my purpose, and then I'm going to... Uh, to judge them. And uh, in the middle of that, the Lord tells the prophet that the just shall live by his faith. And in this immediate context, God's setting up a contrast between the proud. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so he is, he is setting up this contrast, two kind of people. There's the proud people, and then there's the people who recognize their dependence and live by faith in God. The proud people overrate their importance. They have things upside down. They trust in their strength and their military power and their, and their own resources, their own abilities. Uh, but the, the just recognize their need, recognize their dependence. Uh, they live by faith in the Lord. And so the proud think they are all important and that God is not. And the proud are contrasted with the just or the righteous who will live by faith, recognizing their dependence upon God and trusting that the Lord is true and faithful. The, the, the righteous believe that God is trustworthy, even though their circumstances may not, uh, uh, they may not be able to see God's hand in their difficult, trying circumstances, but the, they recognize that God is working and God is trustworthy even when we don't understand. Even when we cannot see what He is doing, He is at work. And sometimes He is working in ways that even if He told us, we wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't be able to understand it. We wouldn't be able to perceive it as the prophet does. And so that's, that's the immediate context of these, of these verses. And this, this passage is actually quoted three times in the New Testament, twice by Paul and once by the writer of Hebrews. And, uh, uh, and also this verse was actually used, you know, profoundly impacted a man named Martin Luther 
who through meditating upon this verse uh, and, and others, but launched what we have come to know as the Protestant Reformation. Talk about that in a little bit. And so the first place, chronologically, that this is uh, that this verse is quoted is in the book of Galatians. Now I say chronologically, in that uh, uh, you know our our New Testament is not is not laid out in the order that the letters were written. Instead, the the New Testament letters are in order of longest to shortest, and so the longest being the first, the book of Romans, the longest letter that Paul wrote, uh, and the book of Titus being the shortest letter that Paul wrote. That's how our letters are organized in the New Testament. So they're not necessarily order, uh, chrono- chronologically which ones were written first. And so the book of Galatians was written before the book of Romans. And uh, uh, in, the, in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul is writing to a church that he established, that he had uh, had planted and on his missionary journey and then moved on to other places to plant other churches. And uh, uh, when he, after he leaves Galatia, he hears of false doctrine, of false teaching coming into, uh, uh, into the church. And so the message of Galatians is, is, is a reminder of the truth of Christian freedom. Paul writes to the, to the Galatians, Christians reminding them that Jesus has come to set us free. Jesus has come to set his people free from the bondage of sin and from the bondage of death and also to set them free from religious legalism. Paul writes this letter because he's heard that the people, the Christians, are turning aside from the gospel and, uh, and, and turning aside to another gospel. A religious message that is really not a gospel at all. That is uh, is not good news. Paul Paul writes to them in chapter one verse six. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in grace to Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. And so uh, there are folks that have come in after Paul uh, and false teachers that are undermining the very heart of the gospel. The gospel of grace was being trampled by a gospel of works. And there were false teachers who professed to follow Jesus, but they sought to make Christianity just an extension of the traditional system of works righteousness. Uh, These false teachers came and were teaching that a person had to become Jewish before he could become a Christian. That he had to convert to Judaism, including circumcision and accepting all of the, the, the requirements of the law that they actually had to become Jewish before they would become Christian, and then they could only be righteous before God if they followed all the laws of Moses, all of the regulations, all of the rituals, all of the ceremonies of the Old Testament. And Paul writes this letter as a correction uh, to that. Paul writes that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and it does not come from works of the law. He writes that Jesus brings true freedom. He doesn't just bring freedom from sin and death, but he also brings freedom from the bondage, the slavery of the law. And he writes that sinners are saved by faith. And Paul also writes that, uh, that, these, that, that sinners are saved by faith, they're justified by faith, and then they are to live by faith, they're sanctified by faith. 
as God gives freedom to live out lives of genuine righteousness, free from sin's control and from legalism's bondage. And so uh, we see this verse quoted in in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, uh, that no one is justified by the law inside of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. And so there he quotes uh, Habakkuk 2.4. And backing up in, in chapter 3, verse 10, first he quotes from the book of De- Deuteronomy. In verse 10 he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. And so, first Paul quotes from Deuteronomy to show that righteousness cannot come from the law. If you're going to try to keep the law, if you're going to try to be saved by keeping the law, then you have to keep every single aspect, every single jot, uh, every single dot, every single tittle, every single letter of the law if you want to be justified by the law. To try to be saved by, by, by keeping the law means you have to obey the law in deed and in spirit. Every deed, every word, every thought, every attitude must be in conformity with the every jot and tittle. Jot would be the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The tittle would be the little dot. Uh, that identifies one letter from another. All of that must be kept if you are to observe the law, if you want to be saved by the law. And so to, to, to try to be saved by keeping the law puts you under a curse because you cannot possibly do it. You cannot possibly keep all the things which are written in the law. And so, uh, so Paul writes, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. And so to try to be saved by observing the law is to put yourself under a curse. Um, you cannot be righteous by keeping the law. And so he quotes Deuteronomy to show that, and then in verse 11 he quotes Habakkuk to show how the righteous are to live. The righteous are to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. To live by the law is to trust in yourself, and self-effort leads to death and eternal condemnation, but to live by faith is to respond to God's grace, and that leads to justification, to sanctification, and to eternal life. And so Paul quotes this to show that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by the works of the law. And so to Try to be saved by keeping the law, as the false teachers were teaching, is to, to, to put yourself under a curse, or to, to stay under the curse, and it leads to failure, to death, and eternal condemnation. And so, you cannot be saved by keeping the law. We are saved by God's grace through faith alone. And Paul uses this quotation from Habakkuk to show how we are saved. And so all, all in, its, in its context, uh, Galatians 3, 10 through 14, Paul writes, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. 
but that no one is justified by the law in sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so if we try to live by the law, we are under the curse. But when we live by faith, we believe that God has become a man in Christ Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. And then when he died on the cross, he became that curse for us. He took that curse for us and he sets us free. Sets us free from sin. He sets us free from death. He sets us free from the bondage of trying to keep every letter of the law. He sets us free from the bondage of having to obey the law in deed, in word, in thought, in attitude. And so uh, the righteous will live by faith, not by our self-effort, but by trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. And so that's the first, uh, uh, chronologically, the first quotation. The second is in the book of Romans. Paul also quotes, quotes Habakkuk 2.4 in Romans 1.17. Romans 1.17. And beginning in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith faith. And so right here in the introduction of his letter to the church at Rome, Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. Now the book of Romans is Paul's biggest book. Uh, you know, his other letters, like the letters to the church at Galatia, were letters to churches or individuals that he knew personally. Uh, you know, he wrote letters to the churches that God uh, used him to establish. He wrote letters to individuals uh, Timothy and Titus and Philemon, people that he knew, people that were familiar with him and familiar with his, his doctrine. Uh, he, and, and so in those particular letters, he, he could address specific issues. You know, he, he uh, heard of problems at the church at Corinth, and he wrote the letters to address the specific problems. He heard of false teachers in Galatia, and he wrote the book of Galatians to specifically deal with their, with their difficulties with those false teachers. The book of Romans is different. Uh, Paul had never been to Rome. He longed to. He wanted to go to Rome. He actually wanted to go to Rome on his way to Spain, and uh, he had never met. You know, he had met some of the individuals like Aquila and Priscilla at other places that had relocated to Rome, but he'd never been, uh, uh, never preached, never led a revival, never did a Bible study uh, at the churches in Rome. And so, when he writes the Book of Romans. He is introducing himself to a church, to people that he'd never met, that had never met him, that had never heard him teach, never heard him preach. And so the book of Romans is more a letter of introduction where he summarizes all of his teaching, all of his preaching, all those things he taught in Corinth for 18 months and in Ephesians for Ephesus for three years. He summarizes all that in the book of Romans. So in the book of Romans we have Paul's complete uh, doctrine, all of Paul's teaching. It's a letter of introduction and it's also... A letter. He, he, he wants their support uh, to send him to Spain so he could take the gospel there. And so he's summarizing his doctrine so, so the church knows what he believes and knows what he preaches and knows that, they, uh, that it's worthy of their support to send him on his way to Spain um, 
but uh, Paul kind of gets arrested on his way before he gets to Rome, and he goes to Rome not as a free man, but as a prisoner. Um, but uh, he writes this letter to the Church of Rome, and so, so we have this, this book uh, that summarizes all of Paul's teaching, Paul's letter of introduction. He summarizes all of his doctrine, all his preaching, all his teaching, and uh, it's the most complete of Paul's writings. That's where it's the longest, and that's why it comes first in our, in our New Testament and the letters of Paul. And in Romans, Paul orderly and systematically presents all of his doctrine and all of his teaching in a concise letter. Um, all of his, his, his doctrine of justification, his doctrine of sanctification, his doctrine of glorification, all in this one letter. And then in chapter, tw- in chapter 12, he transitions from doctrine to practical application. Because this is true, because we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, uh, because we're justified and sanctified and look forward to glorification, here's how we ought to live. We ought to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And so, uh, beginning in chapter 12, Paul begins the practical application of the doctrine that he teaches. So the book of Romans is Paul's letter of introduction to the Roman Christians. And in the first 15 verses, he pretty much introduces himself. He talks about his desire to, to visit Rome. He talks about the fact that he is uh, the apostle to the Greeks, and he introduces himself. And then in verse 16 and 17, he kind of gives us the thesis statement of the letter. He summarizes the whole letter in these two verses. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so Paul writes that sinners are saved through faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, and that's justification. And Paul talks about justification in chapter, chapters 5 and 6 of, of the book of Romans. And so justification is God's legal decree. When a sinner believes in Jesus Christ, puts his trust in Jesus Christ, turns from his sin and trusting Christ alone, recognizes his helplessness, his hopelessness, and he cries out to Jesus for mercy, at that moment God declares that sinner to be righteous. That's justification. It's a legal decree, a legal declaration. God declares that sinner to be righteous. He has credited Jesus. He has credited their sin to Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty, and the righteousness of Christ has been credited to that sinner. God declares that sinner to be forgiven, to be justified, to be righteous, and that's God's grace that we receive by faith. But then, in Romans chapter seven. Paul talks about sanctification, where when we are justified, it doesn't have anything to do with our behavior. It has everything to do with God's grace toward us in Christ Jesus. God declares us to be righteous. But then in sanctification, we begin the process of becoming righteous in our practice. We we, we begin the process of becoming what God has already declared us to be. We become in practice what we already are in position. He's declared us to be righteous. And then in sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
We are being made righteous. We're having victory over sin. Paul in chapter 7 talks about the, the struggle that he has. You know, that he, he loves the Lord, he delights in the Lord's law, he, he knows that the law is good and it's given for his own good, and he wants to do that which is pleasing in God's sight, not because he might be saved, but because he knows it's good and right and glorifying to God and good for him. He wants to uh, live according to the law, not to be saved, but because he's saved, and yet he finds himself falling short of that. Is that what he wants to do? He doesn't do. Is that what he doesn't want to do? He does. But he describes that process of sanctification where Paul is gradually and where we as Christians are gradually growing in our faith and in, in, in acts of righteousness, in the practice of righteousness. We have victory over temptation, victory over sin in our lives. We begin that process of sanctification. And here in verse 17, Paul says that that is also by faith. We're justified by faith and we're sanctified by faith faith. The righteous will not only be saved by faith, the righteous will live by faith. And it's through our faith that we grow. It's through our faith that we yield to the Holy Spirit. It's through our faith that God produces righteous works, righteous acts in us. Sanctification is much a gift of God's grace through faith as our justification is. And we cooperate with the Holy Spirit through faith in order to be sanctified. And so the sinner begins a life where he lives out a practical righteousness. And so faith is not just a one-time act that brings us salvation. Faith becomes a new way of life. The way of life, the true believer will live in faith all of his life. Uh, and we're saved by faith. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And not only is the righteous born again by faith, but then he lives by faith. Alright, so Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 to show that the righteous. In Galatians, he really emphasizes saved by faith. In Romans, he emphasizes we live by faith. And he talks about God's doctrine of salvation Justification, sanctification, glorification in chapter 8. Talks about God's mercy in chapter 11 and then in chapter 12. In view of God's mercies, how ought we to live? We need to live by faith. The faith to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Living those Christian lives by faith. Faith's not just a one-time act. It becomes a way of life. All right, and then... Uh, the third quotation of this particular passage in the New Testament is by the author of Hebrews. And uh, I'm one of the people who believe we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Um, the author of Hebrews known only to God, but we do know and believe that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the very words of God, and he also is led by the Holy Spirit to quote Habakkuk away over in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 is where Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted in the book of, of uh, Hebrews. And this passage is one of the famous warning passages of the book of Hebrews. This quotation is in a passage that warns against 
turning away from Jesus. And so in Galatians we see the righteous being born again by faith, not by works of the law, by faith. In Romans we see sanctification, the, the righteous living by their faith, growing in their relationship with God and practical righteousness by faith. And in Hebrews we see the righteous holding on and persevering to the very end, failing to fall away, kept by faith. And so if we, uh, if we back up uh, and see the, the context of this, chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, we see this is a great warning passage, warning believers to endure, to persevere. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll begin reading verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he who thought worthy who will be thought worthy of, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated... You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise. And so he's calling these believers to persevere. You have been illuminated. You've experienced suffering. You've experienced the plundering because of your identification with Jesus Christ. And when things get hard, don't lose heart. Don't fall away. Don't turn away from following after Jesus. Because those who turned away and violated the law of Moses by two witnesses. They were stoned to death. How much worse will it be for those who have trampled underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? So the writer of Hebrews calls these people to persevere, to endure, even through suffering, even through hardship. This passage warns against turning away from Jesus. And then he goes on to say in verse 37, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So you see how the writer of Hebrews is using this verse. He's calling believers to persevere, to endure, to hold fast. Born by faith, live by faith, persevere, hold on, endure to the end. How? By faith. And so he's calling these believers to hold on. 
warning against turning away from Jesus. This is a warning to those who hear and understand the gospel and may even make a profession of faith in Him and identify with Him in the church and have all the outward signs of being converted. And because of those outward signs, they endure persecution and suffering. Well, those who have identified with the church but haven't truly been born again, when persecution, when suffering comes, they, they, they fall away. Just like those, uh, you remember the parable in Matthew chapter 13 of the sower who went out and sowed and he sowed the seeds. And some of the seed fell on, uh, on uh, rocky soil. And they began, they looked like they were growing up. It started to grow. It, there were leaves and it was green and it was lush and it was beautiful. But the sun came out and it was hot and there was tribulation, there was suffering, there was persecution. And because there was no root, because there was no depth, those plants dried up and died. There was no perseverance, there was no endurance, there was no truth. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing. You can, you can identify with Jesus, you can identify with the church, you can experience some suffering, but those who aren't living by faith will fall away. But the righteous, the just, will persevere. They will endure. All true believers will persevere to the end. God will hold on to them by faith. And so the righteous will live by faith. They will endure. They will persevere to the end by faith. They will not fall away. Uh, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. And so this passage calls to endure, to persevere, to hang on, even though there's suffering and persecution and trouble. The righteous will live by faith. They will persevere, hold on. Alright, so you see the three ways this passage is used in, uh, in the New Testament. Uh, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they take these words of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk is contrasting the proud and the just. The proud trust in themselves and their own resources. The righteous will live by faith. If we try to live by the law, we're trusting in our own self-effort, but the righteous will live by faith. If we try to live by rules and regulations, even after we're saved, and we try our own willpower to, uh, to live by the law, uh, then that's contrasted with those who live by faith, trusting in the Holy Spirit to produce His work, and not on their own self-effort. And those who trust in themselves to hold on to God, to persevere, to endure, they will fall away to perdition, but the righteous will live by faith, holding on to God to the very end. Not trusting in their own resources, but trusting in Christ alone. And, uh, and so these, these are the quotations of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 in the New Testament. And, and these verses are very important to us as Protestants. The word Protestant, where does the word Protestant come from? Protest. And what? The Protestants protest. The What? <laughs> The Roman Catholic Church, that's right. You know, and Catholic, Catholic means universal. So back in the day, 1516, there was one church, the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, there, was a, there was a Roman Catholic monk and priest whose name was Martin Luther. In the early 1500s, a German Catholic monk named Martin Luther spent his whole adult life being instructed about God's righteous wrath against unrighteous sinners. 
And Martin Luther did everything that he could to try to obtain a righteousness that would avoid God's wrath. Everything he was told to do, every good work, every act of penance, everything that he could imagine. All the, he went to Rome and, and all, all the sites and all the, 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 the rituals, all the things that he was told you had to do in order to obtain a righteousness that would avoid God's wrath. But no matter what Martin Luther did, he knew uh, the, the, the wickedness, the evil, the sinfulness in his soul, even with all the rituals, all the ceremonies, all the things that he did, he could never find peace. He could never find safety. There was always He always knew that he was falling short of God's righteousness and that no matter what he did, that he was, uh, he, he was deserving of God's wrath. And instead of, instead of loving God because of his righteousness, he lived in terror of God righteousness and dread of God's righteousness and fear of God's righteousness knowing that no matter what he did he was deserving of God's wrath everything he did to try to obtain a righteousness to avoid God he, he fell short and he lived in absolute terror of God even though he had totally committed himself as a monk to live as a monk to study to teach to preach to do the ceremonies, the rituals, the mass, all of these things. He knew he was not righteous and could never stand before God without being consumed by His wrath. But Luther ultimately came to a place where he did not hate God's righteousness, but where he came to love it and treasure it. And that change came from meditating on this verse. The righteous will live by faith. These verses, the righteous will live by faith. And by meditating on this verse and, and understanding and, and the Holy Spirit opening his mind to the truth of this passage, he was transformed from living in terror and dread because he knew all of his works were insufficient. He was transformed to joy and peace knowing that he was saved by God's grace through faith alone and not works of the law. And when Luther came to understand these verses, he wrote, I felt as if I were entirely born again and entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. And so it, were, it was these verses that helped Martin Luther see Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And he started the Protestant Reformation and the, the, the five, you might hear the five solas, sola means alone. The battle cry of the, the Reformation are these five alones. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, based on the Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And when Martin Luther grasped the truth of these verses, he came to the place where he loved God's righteousness and he set out to challenge the works-based righteousness that was taught by the Catholic Church and uh, didn't really want to start a Protestant Reformation, but the church wasn't receptive to his, his, uh, his questions. And so they excommunicated him and he began what came to be known as the Protestant Reformation. And, and great biblical scholars came after him and advanced the Reformation 
uh, further and further to, to the point where we know it now. But ultimately, uh, we embrace these five truths of the, of the Reformation. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, based on the Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And so uh, uh, these, these verses, Habakkuk 2.4, were instrumental in the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, the recovery of the gospel and the recovery of the authority of Scripture and the defeat of legalism. And so uh, the, the righteous are saved by faith, the righteous live by faith, the righteous persevere and hold on by faith. And so this passage cuts to the heart of legalism. And, uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther began in 1517, October the 31st, 1517, 503 years ago, uh, began the Protestant Reformation, and we are, are beneficiaries of that and uh, products of that. But we always have a tendency to slip back into legalism. And these passages, these verses, uh, these verses cut at the heart of legalism. And there's a couple ways that we can be legalistic. You know, you, we hear that term legalism, and we, we might not be able to define it. We know it's bad, but we don't necessarily need, know what it means. But there's really two, two traps that we can fall into when we think about legalism. The first is legalism and salvation. Legalism and salvation. Legalism can be when we trust our own law-keeping for our salvation instead of the finished work of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is... Uh, is addressing in Galatians, but we can slip into that and we can think, oh, by doing certain things, by, by doing certain things, we, we trust in our own, gift, our own goodness, our own efforts, our own religious rituals or ceremonies to make us right with God. We, we, we might verbally embrace a doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, but we can uh, slip into really thinking that it's ultimately through our works that we have earned God's salvation. You know, because I was smart enough to figure it out and believe, and I walked down the aisle and took the preacher by the hand, and I went through the baptistry and uh, joined the church, and I've worked really hard to be, to be good. Uh, we might verbally say we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, but really in our heart of hearts we think that somehow we've managed to earn Salvation through our goodness, through our smartness, or through our religion, uh, we can we can actually become legalists, and that's what Paul was combating in Galatians. He, the people had been dece- deceived to think that they could be saved by being good, by observing law, by trying real hard, and by doing all these things. And Paul writes, "No, if you if you try to be saved by keeping the law, you got to keep every single bit of it." Every thought, every attitude, every word, every deed has to be submitted to the law of Christ. You can't do it. If you try to save yourself by keeping the law, you're under the curse. But Jesus became the curse for you. Put your faith in Him. The righteous will live by faith. And so that's why the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone is such good news. Because we're set free from the heavy burden of trying to keep every letter of the law and bringing every attitude, every thought, every word, every deed under in line with the law, which we cannot do. And so uh, we're tempted to somehow think that through our goodness or through our effort, we have somehow earned salvation. That's legalism and salvation. But there's another trap that we can easily fall into with legalism. Uh, 
And that's legalism and rules. There's legalism and rules. Yeah, we believe that I'm saved by I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And yet now that I'm saved, there's a whole bunch of rules and regulations that I have got to obey. And legalism and rules speaks of obeying man-made rules and traditions. Uh, and this, this is because, you know, in, in our sinful human nature, not only do we have a tendency to resist God's rules, but we have a tendency to make up our own rules. We hate God's rules, but we love our rules. We resist God's rules, but we like to make our own rules. Man-made rules and regulations. And uh, uh, rule legalism is adding to God's Word. When we walk by faith, we recognize that we live by Scripture alone. By Scripture alone. That God tells us in Scripture what is pleasing to Him and what works the Holy Spirit will produce in His people. But in rules-based legalism, we have a tendency to make our own rules and we judge others based on how well they keep our rules. Or we try to bind our conscience by man-made traditions and man-made rules. And so the other way, you know, we recognize, yeah, we're saved by grace, but then we add a whole bunch of rules and regulations on top of God's Word, on top of God's law, and we judge ourselves, we bind our conscience by our man-made rules, or we bind others by, or judge others by man-made rules. We're quick to add man-made rules to our faith, and we might not think that we need to keep them in order to be saved, but we judge people and we embrace rules and regulations that are on top of the Scripture. And why do we do that? Well, it's because we ultimately, by making rules, that gives us a way to feel better about ourselves. Have you ever noticed that when we make man-made rules, we usually choose rules that we're pretty good at obeying? <laughs> we, we choose rules that we can do. You know, I don't like to dance. And so... Uh, I can make a rule that Baptists don't dance. You know, and uh, I, don't, I don't like to dance. So I make a rule that Baptists don't dance. Those like me who uh, don't like to dance, we're on the inside. You know, but those who like to dance, they're on the outside. They're Methodist. <laughs> you know, they... Uh, uh, and so we take these rules that God never gave, but because we're good at it, we make that a rule to, to decide who's outside and who's inside, right? And that's rules-based legalism. And, uh, and Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 14. Uh, uh, we like to make rules that we're good at keeping, and those that are good at keeping the rules that I'm good at keeping, we're the insiders. And everybody else is the outsiders. And uh, this, this, this passage helps guard us from that legalism. The righteous live by faith. And we live by Scripture alone and not by our man-made traditions, our man-made rules and regulations, because that is sinful judging. And that's what the Bible condemns when it says, judge not lest you also be judged. When we, we have a tendency to make these rules and we judge people based on things that the Bible never says are wrong. We, 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 we judge people based on something that the Scripture doesn't say. 
And that's another application of sola scriptura, or by, by, by scripture alone. Uh, our conscience should be bound by the word of God, by the word of God alone, and not by any man-made tradition, any man-made rule, or man-made regulation. We walk by faith, and our conscience is bound by the word of God and not by human rules and regulations. And so this doctrine protects our Christian liberty. The righteous will live by faith. We don't have to submit ourselves to any human tradition, man-made rules, man-made regulations. We walk by faith. Our sanctification is by faith and not by our effort to obey a bunch of rules and regulations. And so this is an incredibly liberating doctrine. And so when Habakkuk contrasted the proud and the righteous, the proud trust in themselves, the righteous recognize their dependence upon God. The proud try to save themselves by obeying the law. The righteous live by faith. The proud try to keep all these rules and regulations through their self-effort. The righteous will live by faith. The proud try to persevere by holding on, by gritting their teeth, by self-control. Holding on, persevering, enduring. The righteous will live by faith. What an incredibly liberating truth. Saved by faith. Live by faith. Held by God's power through faith, and not by any self-effort or any obedience to any rule or regulation. All right, so questions about this great verse and this great doctrine that the righteous will live by faith, this great liberating truth. All right, if not, let's pray together. Lord God, we, we thank you for this great truth. The just will live by faith. And Lord, I pray that you help us to feel the full freedom and liberty of that truth. And to recognize that your acceptance of us is not in any way based upon our performance or our self-effort, anything about us at all but it's simply your kindness and your grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you guard us from a rules-based legalism where we judge other people based on things that have been added to your word. Lord, guard us from that and and guard us from binding our own conscience by things that you have not said. Help us to really experience the true freedom that you intended in your glorious gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, based on the Scripture alone, for your glory alone. And God, we pray that you would be glorified in and through us 
as we live by faith and as your Spirit produces His fruit in us and as you hold us through faith till the very end. Help us to endure difficult circumstances. Help us to endure hard times. Help us to persevere through the sun and the heat as you hold us through faith till the end. Help us to bring you glory and to be trophies of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. Thank